By making the world a more beautiful place, Artemis publishes artists and writers from the Appalachian region of the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia and beyond. This is the time when we need to write and make art for the sake of healing our souls and enriching our communities. Welcome to Artemis Speaks. Hello, welcome to our show today. I'm Jerry Rogers. I'm here at Final Track Studios with Skip Brown, my co-producer, and we are honored today to have a writer, Bill Glose, join us actually here in the studio. We often do it through Zoom, but Bill is coming through town and has a couple of book events in Roanoke and up in Floyd. He wrote a book recently, it's just come out, All the Ruined Men, and this explores how difficult and confusing it can be afterwards to come home after a war. Many war books have been written about the horrors of combat, but Bill writes a book linking stories that shows veterans struggling to adjust to civilian life after years of war in Iraq and Afghanistan. As a combat veteran and paratrooper in the 82nd Airborne Division, he served in the Gulf War as part of the first units deployed to prevent Saddam Hussein from invading Saudi Arabia. After months of tension, he was part of the ground invasion into Iraq, charging through sand dunes littered with dead bodies. He graphically goes into some of the hardships of what it's like to be in war and then to come home and links these stories with people that have been there but hopefully will be helpful for the families and others to understand what these men go through. So welcome, Bill. I'm delighted to have you here today. Uh, Thank you, Jerry. I'm thrilled to be here, too. Uh, I've always loved Artemis and uh, the podcast that you do as well. And I'm thrilled to be able to come down here to Skip Studio and uh, sit in with both of you. Well, it's a delight to have you. So you were a combat veteran, or are a combat veteran, and a former paratrooper, which meant you were jumping out of airplanes, <laughs> right? That's, that's right. My my father was an Air Force pilot. He uh, he was a uh, he flew fighter bombers, F fours, and he always used to say he could never understand why anyone would jump out of a perfectly good airplane. <laughs> <laughs> Only if you want to save your life, maybe. <laughs> well, how difficult has it been to write about these struggles faced by soldiers who are coming home after the war? Well, you know, when uh, for a long time I was writing poetry about my own war, but then the wars just kept going on. And, uh, you know, as... As, as I was following the same soldiers going back time and again and just imagining how difficult that must be, you know, I, I thought I needed to uh, write something about it. Kurt Vonnegut once said that, uh, you know, find something you care deeply about. and That is what you should write about. And, you know, this was 
you know, the struggles face that veterans face. That's something that deeply moved me. And so I felt like I had to write about it. Uh, it was, you know, there were some difficulties, especially with some of the early stories. But uh, eventually the, uh, the soldiers I was creating, the characters I was creating started taking over and just leading me on their, through, their, through their own lives and their own difficulties. Well, I knew you previously through your poetry. For years, we were publishing you, and uh, I'm just curious: is uh, what brought about the switch to fiction? Well, the the funny thing is, I actually started out with uh, fiction, and uh, over the years, I've written quite a bit of uh, uh, nonfiction. That's you know, nonfiction has been my meat and potatoes, and then poetry and fiction have uh, been the dessert. Um, I, the, the poetry, I was using that to explore my, uh, my confusion and feelings about my, my own war experiences. But uh, what I wanted to write about with the continuing wars and the difficulties soldiers face coming home, I just didn't think the, the poems themselves would be long enough to get out everything I wanted to show about their lives. And so I, I moved back to the fiction form with those. Well, not everybody loves fiction. I mean, excuse me, poetry. And so maybe there's a broader audience through fiction that moved you to move in, you know, to create that book. And a lot of this was from your personal experiences, this book. Well, it's it's been a a morphing of the two. You know, my my war, the Gulf War, was so different from what the soldiers going uh, to uh, Iraq and Afghanistan for year after year what what they were facing. You know, we were uh, going over dunes, we were going into bunker complexes, and. Uh, that was our war. And then, you know, they've had uh, all the IEDs and then going into towns and door to door and and all of that. So there's, you know, a, a lot of differences in the actual combat. But most of what I wrote about is, uh, you know, the the difficulties that the soldiers face after coming home. And that regardless of what generation or what war you went to, you know, those are the, the same types of problems that, uh, that you have to deal with. Um, as for, you know, my personal experiences, there are, you know, some things that I experienced either, you know, uh, either during the war or after uh, that have uh, come out in the book. And then there are a lot of uh, experiences in my work life uh, outside of the army that have also come into it. Um, one of the, uh, one of the people get, one of the characters gets into pool construction and I worked pool construction for several years. One of the characters gets into a factory, a bag factory, and I worked in a bag factory for several years. So I, I, I did draw a lot on my, my personal experiences to create these characters. But once I put them in those situations, they, they took off and led me, you know, places I didn't expect. Well, you talk about the stoicism that, you know, 
these men and you might have faced when you come home. And I'm, I suppose it's just hard to start relating experiences to people that are here in your home, your family, who have no idea what you've gone through. My father was a fighter pilot four years in World War II, and he was very stoic. He never spoke about what he witnessed. You know, he grew up fast. He was in the, you know, in Africa flying fighter planes at 21 years old, and he came out at 25, 26. He was a changed man, and for the better. I mean, he was an amazing person, but I think you experienced that with your father as well. Oh, certainly. So my, my father was a pilot in Vietnam, and he never spoke about uh, his war. And, you know, he just kept that all buried inside. And as so many uh, soldiers and, and, and airmen and Marines and, you know, do. And, you know, I, I just don't think that there's any problem you have inside yourself, any turmoil you feel that ever improves or gets better by ignoring it. It only festers and explodes. Uh, and that was what was happening with me. I, I took after my father's example, and I didn't, you know, a after the war, I didn't say anything about it. And I, you know, there were things that bothered me, and I would explode at, at inopportune moments. And then eventually I came to poetry and use that as a way to, you know, explore. And the first poems were difficult to write and even more difficult to share with others. But, uh, I, you know, once I got over that and, you know, saw that I wasn't being judged harshly uh, for, you know, what I thought or felt, that, uh, you know, it, it came as a, a relief. It was a form of catharsis. Well, we at Artemis believe in the healing power of words and art, and that's how we began through writing workshops for abused women. And here we are 45 years later, and I, I can attest to the uh, powerful instrument that writing is, or even art. Did you, um, after you started opening up, did you contact other people, other men that had been in the war? I know there's... Lot, you know, a lot of serious problems. Suicide rate is huge. Did you work at all with them? So I have uh, done some writing classes uh, with um, with the VA and uh, with uh, the Armed Services Arts Partnership. So, so I've worked in some, with some veteran programs those ways. And then just other veterans that I've personally known. Uh, you know, my friend Brad Lawing, uh, I remember we both went to high school together. We were college roommates for a year at Virginia Tech, and we both joined the Army about the same time. Uh, I, you know, got out after five years of active duty, and he stayed in and made a career of it. And I remember one time, this was about 10 years ago, he was getting ready to go out on his seventh hardship tour his fifth Middle East war deployment. And, you know, it just, that was one of the things that really struck me is that we just keep sending the same people over and over and over. And, you know, going once, that can be a trauma that is hard to, to get over. 
but to continually go, it becomes your norm and it just changes everything about your life afterwards. The hardships on the family life have got to be immense. And you live in northern Virginia, correct? Uh, Eastern Virginia, Virginia. Yorktown. Mm -hmm. Yorktown. And so you were working with veterans there. If there's someone listening that would like to get involved in these type of uh, groups, how would they do that? Well, the the best places they can go to contact, uh, ASAP, Armed Services Arts Partnership, they're at ASAP.org. And uh, they have lots of fantastic uh, programs for veterans, not just writing, but all kinds of other uh, programs. And uh, they're based out of D.C., but they've got branches in other places throughout the nation, including, you know, one in Hampton Roads. And then also the Muse Writer Center in Norfolk, uh, they do a lot of fantastic programming, including some programs for veterans. Uh, but then also, you can always contact uh, your local VA, and they are usually tied in with uh, uh, you know programs that you can do in your specific area. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you want people to take away from your book? Well, I, I'd say there's really two things that I'm hoping people will take away. First, that for soldiers coming home from war, the difficulties that they face are prolific and many-faceted. And then second, that every soldier is different, and so are their problems. There's no one-size-fits-all solution that will solve everything. Uh, There are a million different ways to fraction, fracture and a million more ways to heal well i think it's wonderful you're writing about this i you know wish you the best of luck you've won several awards uh her brother's apartment won the robert bausch fiction award and what won't stay buried won the 2020 veterans fiction award from the missouri humanities council so what advice would you offer other writers about entering writing contests? The main thing, the main piece of advice I would offer to any writer is to revise, revise their work. Uh, So often, you know, people will, you know, uh, write something and send it off right away. You know, they feel passionate about it. They get it down on the page. And then they find out it's riddled with errors or there's something different they want to say. Uh, I am never more enamored of something I've written than right when I finish it. Uh, When I immediately finish something, I think, this is gold. I love it. (laughs) Yes, yes. And then I never fear worse about a piece when I look at the same story a week later. (laughs) In the trash can. (laughs) What was I thinking? Uh You know, that's that's what revision is for. You know, the, the first draft you write with your heart, but then you have to edit with a knife. You have, to, you have to go in dispassionately and look at what is working for the story. And, you know, just revise, revise, revise until you think every sentence sings. And then that is when you send it in to a contest or for publication. What about editors? How do you, how do you view them in your work? Oh, uh, well... You know, I, I think a lot of 
writers, and I, I've been included in this in this category a time or two. You know, they think, oh, you know, these uh, these editors are out to get me, and or you know, they just they just must not like writers or something like that. But I tell you, I, I served as an editor of a literary journal myself for a few years, and every time I received a submission, I thought this is one I'm going to publish because, you know, it doesn't help me at all to send out a rejection. That doesn't fill my pages. It doesn't uh, serve my readership. I'm always, you know, as an editor, I was always looking for good work to publish. You know, the problem is that people don't revise or they send to the wrong market or they do things that, you know, don't make the piece work for uh, that particular publication. So, you know, I, I've come to learn that editors, you know, they they are doing their best to uh, serve their readership. And so over the years, I've developed some good relationships with some editors. Uh, I, I've done a lot of uh, article writing for magazines. And so I've had long-standing relationships with the editors at different magazines. And, uh, you know, editors are are human too. They're doing their best to, you know, put out a a good publication, and you know, and if and if one editor doesn't like one of my pieces, that's fine. Everybody has different tastes. Well, what about during the writing process? You got the final piece; it's written. Just to have another person read it, or in a writing workshop, to have others look at it and critique. Have you gone through that process, or do you pretty much write alone? Uh, I so I, I have a long-standing um, uh, every every two weeks I meet with my friend Terry Cox Joseph. She's currently the president of the Poetry Society of Virginia, and uh, she's been my editing partner for over over ten years now. And so you know. We'll meet at her house one weekend, and then two weeks later, she'll come over to my place. And we've been editing each other's work for a long time. So, uh, so yeah, I, I, you know, let my work get out there and get uh, get feedback. the The important thing about feedback, it's important to listen to it all, but you need to remember it's your voice. So, you know, just because you listen to what someone says doesn't mean you have to follow it. You have to be true to your own instincts, exactly. your own heart, right? Yeah, exactly, beautifully said. Yeah, right. And a shout out to the Virginia Poetry Society. It's a great organization. They help select the Virginia Poet Laureates, correct? And we have uh, a local Angela-driven uh, poet here in southwest Virginia. She is our poetry liaison with Artemis Journal, and she keeps us tied in. Yeah, she's the she's the vice president of the western region of the state, right? And she does a lot of fantastic programs, uh, including uh, one called Virginia Voices that was just last week, uh, last Wednesday. Uh, but uh, yeah, she's got a, a, a lot of passion for her for her work and uh, is is trying to shine a light on a lot of people. Yes, uh, we've had her on a podcast. She's delightful great poet and uh, just so glad she moved down here and keeps us tied in with hmm. you all up there well 
I know you brought um, something from your book to read. We'll close out this podcast with that. I want to thank you, Bill, for joining us. It's just a delight to have you down here in the mountains. And uh, good luck with your book reading tonight at Book No Further. And uh, so we will uh, talk again, I'm sure. And until then, thank you. And we'll close out the podcast here with you reading your part. Okay, thank you. So this comes from the story Replacements. Replacements come when soldiers fall, when those you've trained, fought, and bled beside no longer breathe. They come to fill holes before emptiness becomes desolation. They occupy vacancies in squads before squad mates can think too long, before grief rises from its pine box. They step onto one side of a scale to counterbalance the anchor in the other dish. They line up so the unit can march on. They try to share their stories, but no one listens, not these men with combat patches and hollow eyes. They've come, and that's all that matters. Not the reason, not their pedigree, not even the names stitched in black thread on their chests. A person can be loved and grieved, but a serial number is just a number, digits not much different from those before or after. Soon enough, they'll learn to core out their hearts. They'll come home changed, unrecognizable, or else, like so many before, they'll die and be briefly memorialized. Then others will come to take their place. More replacements. One stenciled name on a footlocker as good as another. The roaring machine must churn. Well, hopefully we can come to a place of enlightenment and we'll stop sending young men and women into wars and sending them to early graves. You know, it's insanity and... You know, I know there's all kinds of justifications, but humans just have to be nicer to each other and stop this. Yes, yes. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Skip Brown here at Final Track Studios. He's the magician that makes it happen. He's the man behind the curtain. And we are so appreciative of his talents and what he does. And until next time, I look forward to joining you again on Artemis Speaks. Help me Will we all lost track of time yeah. Nobody takes the time You've been listening to Artemis Speaks. Artemis is a charitable organization now 43 years old and has evolved to be all-inclusive, a journal with essays, poetry, and art. 10% of the journal's sales are donated to a woman's shelter in southwest Virginia. If you're interested in learning more, artemisjournal.org. You can mail us directly, P.O. Box 505, Floyd, Virginia, 24091. The closing music and the opening music you're listening to is Jordan Harmon. And the song is Just Slow Down, a very appropriate comment for the times that we're in. If you want to read, 
you have to slow down. Artemis Speaks, the podcast, is recorded twice monthly at Final Track Studios in Roanoke, Virginia. All rights reserved and is co-produced by Jerry Rogers and Skip Brown. Just slow down.